Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, PulseCast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of PulseCast. Hi, I'm Amanda Safdar, and today I'm sharing a bit from our recent conference in Brussels, a panel discussion on the new European Cross-Borders Workers Regulations with a specific focus on Social Security. Our panel of experts will not only debate their practical understanding of the current regulations, but will also discuss its potential revolution. Moderating, we have Serge Lebrou, partner, LiveIT, and a few panelists. Robert Van Dyke, Executive Vice President with Capgemini, Tom Quigley, Director of Outsourcing with Emerging Europe, and Marta Zeba Zlarska, Interim Manager, Business Advisor, Cross-Border Employment. And with that, I'll let them take it away. Thank you all for coming uh, back. As promised, uh, we are continuing in the fashion of tackling all the topics which we have uh, opened this morning. The key thing is that we'll tackle every single one really with the top experts from the area. And uh, I'm happy to say that we are going towards, let's say, human capital, which is the biggest asset of our industry. So we can talk about technology, ideas, and everything else, but without the human capital and the way of how we interact, and as we spoke this morning, uh, how we go towards talent, nothing will be happening. So uh, I would give the mic to my friend Serge, somebody who is experienced professional in the industry more than uh, 20 years, who will take us to the journey with his panelists, which will be for sure very interesting. So thank you, Serge. Thank you, Marco. So Robert, Tom, Marta, the floor is yours. So in this panel, we really want to tackle regulation on employment. So there's two parts, but maybe not all the panelists will agree to that. The cross-border and the posted workers, which in my view are maybe different things, but it's not, everything is related. So let me start with an example, a real one. You have a Belgian employee working for a French company, and he has to work in, across multiple countries for this French company, and he's also working from home. So where does he pay his income tax? In France, somewhere else, or does it manage around Europe and the different regulation? I don't know which one of you wants to start on that. I will shoot. Um, <laughs> good afternoon. Um, and we have the challenge between now and the noon and the lunch. Yes. Um, uh, maybe, Robert, it, uh, you can introduce yourself yeah, a few you. words. So, my name is uh, Robert van Eyck. I'm, uh, to make it a bit complex, I'm a Dutch citizen living in Belgium, born in Belgium, Spanish mother, Dutch father. I'm married with a Belgian woman. So, that makes already the introduction to the fiscal aspects. Um, to, in order to come to that, I would say it's uh, again a regulation uh, whereby all the tax advisors will be benefiting from it. Uh, currently, um, the thing is, how many days are you working abroad of Belgium? Uh, and is it more than 180 working days or not? Um, so this is one. Secondly, what we always forget, if we want to go to Germany, it's around already 40 days, if I'm not wrong, and you need to also ask it. And if you go to Switzerland, to make it more complex, uh, you really need to have the permission uh, to work there, and firstly, and secondly, you need to increase the salary of the person to the same level as in Switzerland. Otherwise, forget it, uh, because I had some competitors that went there, they avoid to ask some permission, and the second day they were asked to take all the luggage and they were on the blacklist to work in Switzerland. So on your question, I would say he needs to have a tax advisor to do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Marta, from your side, what do you think? Uh, I'm agree. Uh, I'm agree with uh, Robert. Uh, it depends from the days. And of course, we have to monitor uh, how long uh, this worker work uh, in this multiply <laughs> uh, in these countries. So uh, it can happen uh, that uh, the worker should be 
uh, count the taxes in uh, three different countries. So, for example, his country and also think about uh, uh, other country. Of course, for example, if we are talking about the post workers and the Germany example, uh, posted workers should pay uh, tax from the beginning, from the first day in Germany. When we are talking about the cross-border employment, then we have some different, different situation. Uh, so everything, it depends, and I'm agree that he, he will gonna need an uh, uh, advisor. And uh, outsourcing companies, they uh, also have to remember that they are responsible for counting the taxes. And it's, uh, it's a quite complicated, especially uh, today's uh, labor mobility, uh, which is uh, bigger and bigger every month. Uh, Tom, so I, uh, Ma Marta touched two things, yeah, uh, cross-border and posted workers. I, I, so I don't know the answer to that specific question because, frankly, you lost me when Switzerland got involved in the, uh, in, in the game. But um, I'm more of a, a market um, observer, uh, particularly across Central and Eastern Europe, and I think the scenarios that we've just described is, is uh, just uh, perfectly illustrates the inherent issues that the directive is, is bringing. Now, let me say, first of all, I'm a, a huge supporter of the directive and everything that it's trying to achieve, um, uh, and I'm a huge supporter of the single market. Um, I, I voted against Brexit, and we're all, we're all doomed, and hopefully we'll find a way out of that. Um, but, you know, what... The, the, the essence of the, um, of the directive was trying to, um, uh, aside from trying to protect the employees and the workers themselves and make sure that they're not disadvantaged or abused in any way, um, but it's also to try and create uh, freedom of mobility and, and effectively level the playing field and increase uh, competition. And I think what's actually happened, uh, and, and it's a problem with a lot of European directives, is that it's actually been more divisive rather than inclusive. Uh, and it's separated and segregated the, uh, the playing field um, considerably, purely because of all these, uh, you know, uh, different interpretations and enforcements of the, of the tax treatments. I mean, I think um, when an assessment was taken... So the, the original directive was, uh, I think, started in 1996, yeah. somewhere around that, and then when they, when they uh, took an assessment of how many countries had uh, uh, transposed the, the regulations into their own, uh, you know, uh, their own legal system, um, in 2016, there was something like 15 uh, member states hadn't yet um, uh, made that adjustment. In fact, three countries, I think it was Spain, Portugal and Greece, hadn't even started talking about it. Um, and this was, uh, you know, eight or ten years after the, the legislation came in and already they're starting to make changes when they haven't yet had an opportunity to assess the full impact right across uh, the European Union. So. So I think, it's, um, I think it's a little bit early to be making these changes. I think the, I think the changes they're making are all going in the right direction. Um, but I don't think they go far enough, which, which we might come on to discuss. So, so I, think it's, uh, I think it's just driving through increasing complexity. And when you're trying to do business and there's uh, increasing complexity, that sometimes means increasing cost. Uh, and that um, uh, divides uh, the, the, the level of competition as well, because while the large multinationals like Capgemini uh, might be able to afford the overhead of uh, you know, tax, tax advisors or lawyers to interpret, enforce and report on these types of regulations, the smaller to mid-sized businesses often um, don't have that luxury uh, and find themselves either at the wrong end of penalties or ultimately go out of business because they, can, um, they can, can't move their labour uh, forces around. Okay. The, the, the impact that, that I probably will see is, is its a disruption in the classical model that we will have and that we know currently. Um, let's be honest, we are totally in a digital disruptive organization and world. Um, the value chain is going to be dismantled. Uh, dismantled in the sense that uh, we will have to collaborate with uh, fintechs, mm -hmm. uh, smart techs. Uh, and you HR name it. Tech. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> tech. A, a lot of people involved in the entire value chain. Uh, will it be then that we have a lot of landed Indian resources in Europe? I don't believe that will be uh, the way going forward. Uh, the way going forward will be more to have uh, really specialized people in certain areas, in certain countries, with that expertise, where talent here in Western Europe uh, is scarce, 
and we know that the work for talent is there. Um, and that on, on that way, we will have to reorganize ourselves. And if you have projects going on, is people will have to travel a bit more um, in order to have that communication going on. And it will be a bit more complex than what we know, know currently. Yeah, I think I think uh, when you were talking about uh, you know the uh, the operating model changing and digital transformation kicking in and that kind of thing. So another area where I think the directive doesn't go far enough. The, the most recent changes is they've talked about um, this uh, uh, the posted worker um, you know is, is classified as a posted worker for a period of twelve months and then with an option to extend it for another six months yeah, or six something. Months. But a lot of digital transformation programs that I've been involved in or have spoken to clients who've been involved in that, um, you know, they go beyond the twelve months or the eighteen months. They're two-year programs, and, and you know, and particularly for global companies, it's, it's sometimes uh, even longer than that as well. Um, and uh, they don't want to be taking resources out after a period of sixteen or eighteen months because they, they then have to be uh, uh, absorbed into that uh, uh, hosting, uh, you know, ecosystem. Um, so it's, it's just another another headache on top of the. the the original headache. Yeah, we are. We are also. Uh, we are talking about the uh, the, the technology. Uh, I would like to point one thing uh, because uh, two years ago uh, we had the implementation of uh, uh, directive about the posting uh, posted workers. Uh, that was uh, just uh, actualization of old um, uh, of old directive, and in in it was. Uh, was idea that each country uh, is obliged to prepare uh, the website with all information <coughs> about the labor market, uh, the information about the salaries. Uh, of course, that kind of website exists, but try to get some information from these uh, websites. I can say any country in, in Europe have a good, uh, good website. And, but we are digital, mm. so it should be easy. And we think about it, and we have problem to create right website with all the information about the labor market. From where are we gonna get those information? If we are, will be responsible for uh, uh, payroll, uh, for uh, agreements, uh, how, how to get those, uh, those information? And uh, the penalties will be very, very big. Just, it, it's really nice, this panel, because I don't have to ask questions. <laughs> they ask questions <laughs> themselves, so that's, that's really nice. But if I want to make a step back mm. and look at what's the difference, really, with, or no difference between a cross-border and a posted worker, because we use the two words. Some people are mixing it. Is the same regulation applying to the two, or is it a different regulation? Uh, it's uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's it it is a different uh, regulation. We have a free movement of people, and free movement of services. Uh, so, for example, if we are calling um, generally uh, cross-border employment, we are talking about the all people which are uh, m m which are uh, moving uh, about the, uh, about the work uh, between countries. And uh, so first we have a cross-border employment. So we have uh, people which are moving from country to country. This is free movement of, uh, uh, of the workers. And uh, then we have uh, posted workers. So this is something else. And when we are talking about posted workers, we have uh, people which are posted and people which are in business trip. So uh, this is also two different things. And uh, the directive uh, talks, about, uh, it talks about the workers which are posted. So they're going from uh, one company to another company. Uh, it can be in different country because we also can, we are, uh, we also can uh, post workers uh, in the same country. It's, uh, it's normal. But 
right now for here, uh, this is from one country to another European country. And mostly that kind of uh, employment is temporary. Uh, this is not rather not long term. But right now, due to high uh, labor mobility, also cross-border employment starts to be temporary because we are going, we do a project, we are going to uh, one country, another and another, to another employees, and we are changing it. So it's, right now I think we have to stop thinking about which one is more temporary or not. But of course the regulations are, uh, regulations are different, but the directive shows <coughs> that when the directive will be implemented, uh, the conditions and uh, thinking about uh, uh, salaries, employment, etc., will be almost the same for uh, cross-border uh, workers and posted workers. So, uh, so I have an example, which maybe you can clarify mm -hmm. then, which I'm not so sure. So I was reading earlier about a, a situation where in the UK, uh, uh, Land Rover Jaguar, for example, they buy uh, machinery from mm -hmm. a German supplier. Um, these days they don't just buy the machinery but they also buy the service for the maintenance of that and there was an example where the, uh, on one Friday afternoon uh, the machinery broke down and production was halted um, and the, the German supplier flew a number of workers over who worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday to repair the, the, uh, the machinery to get mm -hmm. it up and running um, so the production could start again on Monday. Is that cross-border or is that uh, posted workers. I think it's cross-border as opposed to posted worker because my understanding for um, cross-border was as mm -hmm. long as they return uh, to their, their, their place of residence, uh, you know, within a, within a week or something like that, then they're they, they, they class uh, different. It depends on what they have in the agreement because if they have in agreement place of work in Germany mm. and they will go to England, just for example for four days, yes, mm -hmm. uh, this is a cross-border. But when the employer uh, puts something different in agreement, so he will point that for these four days his place of work will be England, then we are using a uh, directive and this is a posted work. Mm -hmm. yeah. no, really interesting. So I want to look at the audience and say, based on what you heard so far, do you see what you need to do regarding all those issues? Or is this just look like a mess? <laughs> so I don't know if someone has a different point of view, uh, a question on that, a comment? Robert. Yeah. You are working for a big corporation. How do you... How do we manage? Yes. Um, well, it may be helping some of the people in the room, so that's really interesting. Uh, the, the thing how we manage is we have HR um, who is helping us with all these aspects together with legal. And depending on the contract and the mission we are doing, um, it's it's landed or not landed. Um, and uh, they give us the go before we go. So um, in smaller companies, I know that uh, you're a bit more free. Uh, and then you say, yeah, it will, will be OK. Uh, I will go. And then we see later. Um, I don't want to be uh, saying watch out, but I must say that, um, particularly, I had the experience in Switzerland. Um, they are tough because you don't know who is in the company watching and giving all the information towards Swiss authorities. And before you know, the second day uh, they asked to, to leave people. That's one. So, uh, firstly, look with HR, look with legal. If you don't have it, ask someone mm -hmm. um, in order to help you. That's one. Secondly, uh, every employee, if it's longer than 180 days, needs to have tax support because at the end, 
Uh, I don't know how many of you are living in Belgium, but our tax uh, submission, it's now currently going on, and it's becoming more and more complex. So you need also a tax alternative in order to help you to fill it in. But if you're working in different countries, you need to have that, because depending if you overachieve the 180 days, and it's not saying I'm working 180 days in, Bel in Netherlands and I come back for a week and then I go back, that it starts again, no. So there, there is a lot of rules that you need to, to take into consideration, that, that one. Secondly, with all, well, we have 100,000 people in India, um, and some of them are working here in our client side. It takes a lot of time before you get the working permits. Mm. That's one. Yeah. Uh, secondly, to have a visa of, because we have some members working on projects that we do more or less in uh, offshore, onshore location, um, just to have a, an Indian colleague coming over to Belgium for one week, it takes a lot of time before they get the visa granted. Yeah. And then even if they have, want to travel in Europe, it's, it's neither so simple. Because if they want yeah. to go to France or whatsoever, they need to have again another visa. Yeah. So it makes things quite complicated. It means that we organize ourselves in order to say, uh, who is really our local person in order to reach out to the different people, per, for example, in India or in Poland? Uh, how should we manage? Who is the spoke over there? Uh, what's the competence of the people there? Yeah. And should we... Is it not better we traveling over there than they traveling over here? Uh, because sometimes we are a bit more flexible in that, in that way. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, you, speak, you spoke about the HR department getting involved yeah. for this. I mean, it's changing the role also, the way they work and the information they need to give because yeah. it's quite complex. Do you, as a company, have special trainings or things you put in place for the HR department to understand all this? Let's say that we reorganized our HR department and you see we are still with the same number of people. Uh, nevertheless, the, the content has changed. So the all stupid kind of work about salary slip and all that kind of thing that outsourced, yeah. no added value. Uh, and we changed again, some of the people have been retrained or, other, or we recruited new people in order to respond to the requirements that is getting there. Because you can't say, oh wait, I will have to study, give me two weeks time before we go and we see. Uh, for us, is the client is calling, myself and covering the consulting department. Client is calling in the morning, we need to provide a proposal for the evening and we need perhaps to start the day after. Action and reaction. Uh, action and reaction, yeah, so yeah, it needs yeah. to be speed. Um, and therefore you need to have the right people, as well as support from the right firms behind that can uh, help you out in, in these kinds of questions. Yeah. In our organization, um, uh, I am somebody like a planner. Uh, so. Uh, so I generally care about cross-border employment and uh, to be uh, always on time and have actual information, I have to cooperate and have a team of lawyers, uh, taxes advisors, social security advisors, etc., etc., and also cooperate in each country uh, with somebody who is a local. And uh, I, last time I count that I'm learning about uh, six days per month about what is going on on each, uh, uh, each market because I'm caring about the whole those stuff, inspection, labor market, um, taxes, social security, etc., cetera, uh, worldwide, not just only Europe, but also different countries. And uh, I have to actualize my, uh, my knowledge uh, all the time, all the time, because it's changing so fast that uh, sometimes it's, it's very big surprise. Oh my God, when it happened. Yeah. Mm. I, th I think that's a good point. And I think 
back to Robert's point around how delivery models are, are having to transform, and I think that's happening all along the value chain. Um, so, for example, I think recruitment companies are going to have to step into that yeah. space as well and become a lot more technical advisors and, and uh, the interpretation of the laws across, uh, across borders. Um, and there, there, you know, there, there might be a bit of blurring between uh, you know, what an in-house team might do and what a recruitment firm. So there's an opportunity there potentially for, um, you know, for recruitment firms to, um, to take the burden of, of some of those kind of things, but ultimately it's the, the organisation itself yeah. that's accountable for it, so they'll want to retain some kind of visibility. I mean, just to put it into some, some kind of context, I think we're talking about in the single market something like 2.3 million workers who've been classified as being um, uh, uh, um, posted workers um, uh, across, across the region, um, which is, I think, probably just under 1% of the, the single market labour force. Um, but over the last uh, five or six years, that's been an increasing trend. It's been growing by something like 69%. So it is going to become a bigger and worsening problem for us, and we need to be looking further, uh, further ahead just to see how we're going to deal with that and start to, to transform our businesses just now and our delivery models in order to accommodate that. And again, it's, it's a directive. So yeah. uh, that's the minimum. And every country can put something on top of it. Mm. Uh, which means a single market is not very single. Indeed. Not um, very uh, making <coughs> things more complex. But at least you need to know what the directive is and what's the minimum yeah. you need to respond to. Yeah. But then again, you need to have a local because here in Belgium, you're Belgium, you have yeah. still have the difference between Brussels, Bologna, and Flanders. And every uh, region is putting their own specificities on it, which makes very complex. We have tariff, uh, tariff agreements, and, uh, yes. local agreements, and uh, uh, so. So, a lot so I think Marta has jobs for years to come. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have to multiply. So not all of you know, but the, when we speak about the new regulation about posted worker, it's only a few weeks ago that details came out and the vote came out. So when I say. Equal pay for equal work. What does it mean? At the really? same place. We have three. Uh, we have three conditions, and the most important is the same place. So uh, that's that's a little bit difficult, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and that's that's also a problem uh, because in the directive uh, we have two things which are not regulated, and. Uh, Right now, uh, there is a question how to solve it, but uh, still there isn't any answer. First, uh, uh, first of it is uh, one place, yes, so equal, uh, equal pay for equal, uh, equal, the same place, uh, the, same, uh, the same salary. Um, but how to count the place? And uh, there, there is no uh, special definition of it. And the second one, we also have 12 months. So after 12 months, of course, we have, have more, six months more. Uh, after this time, uh, the, worker, uh, the worker has to get the same salary and this, exactly the same conditions uh, which, is, uh, which are on the, uh, on the market. But for how long we have to count this 12 months? This is not uh, pointed in the directive. So for example, when we are talking right now uh, about labor mobility, uh, for example me, uh, during five years, I can be over 12 months in four countries. So uh, which salary I should get? How, how to count it, how to, uh, how to uh, do it and uh, how to explain it, uh, uh, how to explain it uh, uh, to, to the institutions. This is, uh, this is difficult and this is not pointed in directives. So that's right now kind of, kind of problem. Because when we are talking about the equal salary, it's okay, it should be like that. Uh, of course, we have to remember that uh, uh, cross-border employment needs uh, also additional costs, 
like accommodation, transport, uh, uh, boards, and, and that kind of things. And uh, right now, we haven't possibility to count it, especially for posted workers, uh, count it to the salary. It was something else. Uh, in the new directive, they said it will be part of the remuneration of the salary. So that's, that's the good. Of course, it depends on each country, but I won't <laughs> do next mass uh, uh, how, it, how it will be but, solved. But it's clear that we will have more and more of these discussions. Um, I don't know how you are facing uh, recruitment uh, or even retention of your uh, employers, uh, but it's, uh, it's really a war outside. Um, recruiting the right people um, is already difficult. Very. Um, does that mean that we need to be more flexible of the specificities of the persons? Could be. Uh, but uh, also, uh, our millennials, um, they are hopping, uh, hopping in the, mean, in the sense that they would like to do a project and after the project they will go somewhere else. Exactly. So um, is it then uh, cross-border or the <laughs> other one? I don't know, but yeah. that will be, I believe, the, the, the next generation of uh, type of employees we will have in our companies mm -hmm. and will make it a bit more complex uh, in order to manage everything. Yes, and uh, one more question on that is that <coughs> will this not be something holding up mobility of employees, of uh, companies hiring in their own country, so it's simple from an administration point of view, and increase the lack of talent in some countries, and some other countries will have more because the country is bigger and they will just look in their own market. I would say in our company we are well, promoting is not the right world, uh, word, but we encourage uh, people to move around mm -hmm. and we encourage also that our HR departments is talking with the other HR departments in order to make it easy between brackets uh, for one person to move from one country to another, even if it's between Belgium and, and Netherlands or Luxembourg or outside. But this is because we are investing in people. And investing in talent and investing in knowledge. And it will be a pity that this knowledge and talent is going away to somewhere else. So we need to put something in place in order to keep those talents into the company. Yeah, yeah I, th I think the, um, the, when you start to talk about migration of skills or retention of skills, it, it becomes um, uh, you know, something which is a, a larger problem than just uh, an organizational mm -hmm. problem. I know that. I think a lot of employees will look at, especially if they're working abroad and in different countries, ultimately they will look at what the cost of living and the quality of life is in, in that organisation, uh, that country rather. And, and, and for example, in Bulgaria, I know that there's a, there's a significant trend of uh, uh, Bulgarians who uh, operate in other countries are moving back to the country itself and working in, uh, in, in Bulgaria because... Uh, the quality of life there through uh, preferential tax treatments and that kind of thing is, is making it more attractive for them to go back into the country. But I just, just while I've got the mic, I just wanted to ask Marta another question. Sorry, I've got no answers in this uh, panel. I've just got more questions. But we talked about salary and when the, uh, you know, the, the, the principle of the directive is around trying to make sure that uh, when uh, a worker is posted to another country and if they have a more favourable salary, uh, you know, equal pay for equal work, um, in the UK, a big issue is equality of pay between uh, males and females. So in, in that instance, would it be equal pay women compared to women, or would it be equal pay <laughs> women compared to what the man might be getting? Uh, it's a good question. <laughs> it's a very good question. So I, I haven't think about it, but uh, because in the directive, there is a point that we have to... Uh, we have to use those uh, remuneration and those uh, equal pay uh, as uh, we can read in uh, um, uh, general agreements, uh, labor agreements, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. So if there is a point of difference, uh, so yes, but there isn't right. because we can't uh, we can't do that mm -hmm. we, on the market. There is like that kind yeah. of this. Yeah. So. Uh, 
we can say that um, we gonna have to pay uh, as a mentioned legal documents. So I think more mm. than right no. now. Or go to Iceland and work, work in Iceland. Yeah. Does anyone have a clue how the authorities will control all this? Because it's quite complex, so some companies may say, okay, but they will never be able to see what we are doing. So are they putting in place something? And how will they make control this thing? Uh, next, till next year, in 2019, uh, of, there will be a general labor institution uh, which are responsible for control uh, uh, for control, um, how, how the directive and equal pay and the same uh, salary uh, for, for the same work at the same place uh, is okay or, or not. I hope also that uh, uh, one of the duties of this new, institu in, uh, new institution uh, will be uh, control websites. Because right now, nobody told about it, but, uh, but it should be. Because uh, if we are responsible for right conditions for the workers, we have to have a place where we can find it. Uh, if not, if there isn't, we have uh, arguments that uh, we didn't know. But uh, right now, uh, this uh, general institution rather will be punish uh, of uh, bad behaviors than uh, looking for uh, good solutions or, and good websites uh, for companies. Uh, I, I would argue uh, in the sense if you, if you look some years back um, when we had uh, a tsunami of Indian employers coming over in Belgium, uh, at a certain moment in time, uh, social uh, uh, department of uh, Ministry came on and made some con controls and regulated a bit or make it more tougher. Um, it will be it will be more um, the big companies will be screened. Mm -hmm. uh, that's for sure. The smaller companies, well, I would say perhaps the big companies will say, well, I believe there are some pirates somewhere uh, not totally behaving as it should be, mm -hmm. yeah. and there will be a lot of control. Uh, that's one. Secondly, uh, you still have the individual tax income, and if HR is providing all the info, um, mm -hmm. they will control it also. So it, it will need to be matching. Does it mean that everyone is mature enough? I would say no. But are they becoming mature? I would say yes. How much time it will take between now and five years, and what's five years? It's nothing. So. Uh, there's already a lot of interchange about uh, tax incomes between the different European countries. So just a little bit more, and we will be quite surprised of uh, the actions they will take. Uh, yes, we have uh, about the taxation, we also have a social security. Because when we are talking about the cross-border workers and posted workers, mm. uh, we have to also divide that there is uh, differences between coordination of social security system. And, uh, for example, why some people would like to be posted than to be a cross-border uh, worker. Because uh, if you are posted, you are mostly stay in your social security system. Uh, if you are cross-border, uh, in most of, of the times you are getting to another system. And for example, it depends from the country. Uh, if you're working in uh, Germany, and if you haven't any history of your employment in the Germany, uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna get your uh, retirement after five years of working. So if you are there just only for two years or three years, you have luck. Of course, this time, will be count in your country of social security, uh, but without any, uh, without any money, without anything. Mm. So that's why it's also very important to know that posting, it's in many times better than cross-border uh, mm. cross work, uh, to be a cross-border worker. Uh, 
and uh, this is also a subject for HR, which uh, uh, and uh, for example agencies, recruitment agencies, to uh, to talk with employees and know the situation because uh, coordination coordination of social security is also important. And sometimes we have to think that we have to left uh, this uh, worker in his. Uh, social security system, not to move to another one. Really interesting. Uh, one thing, I'm jumping off one of the things Robert said about each country will have to apply the regulation in their own legislation, mm. which means each country will probably have a different understanding of the regulation or implementation of the regulation. Is this, is, will there someone to, able to resolve the dispute on that? Or will it work if the regulation implemented in the Belgian legislation is completely a different understanding than the one in Germany? Where, where does, because when you are a taxpayer, you are going to the authorities, but you are a small point into that. You don't have a lot of way to get to it. Uh, I, I think that uh, there is no very big misunderstanding uh, because uh, uh, I think right now we have also um, general agreements, labor agreements, etc., etc., and it's working. And uh, probably uh, the countries add some things. For example, if uh, somebody is not working in, uh, in France for minimum 12 months, uh, 12 months, he will not get this uh, additional, um, uh, additional uh, fee or, or salary or provision or something. So maybe that kind of things. But I, I don't think so that, uh, that there will be such a, uh, such a big differences uh, about the implementation. There will be very big differences about the, uh, about the labor market uh, conditions. Yeah. Yes, I, but we have it right now. Yeah, I think, I think the key thing is that to, to recognize that it's, it's not, uh, it's, you know, the commission has issued a directive uh, and it's for the member states to adopt interpret that directive you know, in the context of their own economies and then apply that into law in the way that they do it. Even those who have already adopted the current directive, uh, they've adopted it to various degrees. So some have gone all in and, you know, and applied it, and some have adopted it in principle. So it's, it's still very um, diverse uh, across the region. And uh, I don't think it's something which is going to consolidate or, or level the playing field anytime soon, sadly, not in, uh, in, uh, in my generation, I don't think. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of these things that's going to have to be worked through and, and worked through, which is why I think it's, it's too early to be making changes to it already when we, we don't have this blanket adoption of the, the original uh, directive first. It's, it's only going to cause further, further ambiguity. So, before I ask my last question, I would like to turn to the audience to see if someone else has a question. Vishal, I don't know if you have a question on that. <laughs> what I wanted to check was, you know, you've got, uh, you know, you've got the GDPR coming, you've got this uh, EC directive, uh, and we spoke about earlier on how difficult it is actually to get talent here. With all these regulations coming into play, is this some degree of protectionism which is coming into play here? Uh, how does that impact outsourcing? Because, you know, you you had this 180-day regulation for donkey's ears. It's been around. You know, you have to t track. And I travel a lot within Europe, and our you know HR is constantly saying, how many days were you there, and how many days were you there? With with this directive being enforced, okay, we don't talk about enforcement. How it's enforced? Uh, how does this all span out? You know, we. At, at one point in time, we are all from Europe, you know, sitting here and trying to figure out how do we call it outsourcing of services. What do you feel, you know, are these all protectionism measures that are being imposed in the region? If, if, if I may, um, well, GDPR is a directive. Um, it's in, in, in the sense in order to protect the end customer. 
Um, and you see a lot of regulations coming from the European Commission is more protection of the end customer, so the client centricity mm -hmm. on one end. Means that we in our business need to be more professional. Need of having data protection officers, having really monitoring the data breach. What can we use and what can't we use? Uh, training of all our people of uh, the importance of data and the data privacy and not to give it and throw it away and give it away. Mm -hmm. uh, what is um, also what we see in the market, our end clients, you, me, everyone, uh, when uh, our dear friends of Facebook launched and uh, went out with uh, using all the data, I believe everyone was saying what is going on here. Uh, we didn't give our agreement. Uh, so this is one of the things about um, the labor is again also end clients. If you see um, how people are reacting because they see some Polish drivers uh, coming here in Belgium to uh, quite low wages, um, camping or Hungarian uh, truck drivers uh, camping during three weeks here in Belgium and then going back, you see a, a quite of a reaction of the people. So this has been taken. What does that mean for us in the outsourcing business? is really to optimize our value chain. Uh, who are the, really the people that we are going to move over, yes or no? Where are we going to provide really added value? Because if we look also for our outsourcing business, RPA is there. And you see a, much, a lot of clients saying, well, everything what is common, not added value, perhaps I can insource it again and put my RPA in it. So what are we going then? I'm putting myself also as Capgemini and outsourcing. What are we going then to do? And well, that will be more value-added services, but taking into account all the data privacy agreements, mm -hmm. and, and not only sending lower labor cost people uh, to, to solve a problem of ITers. It will be more, what's the value we're going to provide them? And, and that will be a correction in the entire value chain. Yeah, yeah I agree. Any other question from the audience? So, oh, okay. The mic is coming. Thank you. Uh, we're actually discussing uh, the physical presence of people here um, in, in Europe or in a specific mm. country. Are there any thoughts about remote workers? Um, so, any, any discussions about going on? I mean, uh, we're living in a digital age and a lot of work could be done remotely. Uh, are there discussion, dis discussions going on here? Right now, uh, right now no. Uh, right now, everybody, uh, I think in the near future, we're going to have a new, uh, new directive which uh, include remote uh, uh, workers. Right now, uh, the directive is just thinking and nobody is discuss, uh, nobody discuss about uh, remote employees. For example, so uh, if they are, um, this directive miss, uh, miss one thing. And uh, we, still, uh, we still have a, place of living and place of work. So right now, if we have a place of work um, in the country because he's living there and the place of work is also in that country because, for example, he has a home office or mm -hmm. there is an office, so the conditions, are, uh, the conditions are like in this country. That points this directive and probably in the future will be next change because they forgot about it. Okay, thank you so much. I have a last question before we close and we can all go for lunch. Uh, we'll give the word to Marco first so he can tell us how things are going to happen straight after. So I don't want you to use any words. So I want to tell me this new regulation to express how you feel it. So if you do like that, you like it. If you do like that, you don't like it. If you do like this, it's not so good. Like this, you don't care. Or like this, it's 
it's a good it's a good start. So I will ask the three of you to show me oh, you, what you think about it. <laughs> I think I think the intent is the right is the right intent, um, but I think once it gets in the hands of politicians, it becomes so diluted that it becomes more of an overhead and a and a cost to trying to do business that um, it, it defeats the purpose. I'm uh, I'm uh, that good with the, with the, this directive uh, because of former things and administration and bureaucracy. Uh, only one thing in this directive is equal pay, and uh, but they they did it from not this side. It this directive uh, uh, this directive does not protect employees. It's just giving uh, to the companies, outsourcing companies, employees, uh, more uh, administrative duties, uh, bureaucracy, etc. Uh, not helping uh, what they sh what it should should do. So uh, that's why I'm I'm against uh, because from all those things, just only one is okay. The equal pay. Well, is it correct or incorrect? It's not an answer. Uh, for me, we are in a changing world and we need to adapt ourselves. Uh, this means that our processes internally needs to be adapted and we need to be up to speed. That's one. Secondly, it's a competitive world and means that we need to think really how we need to put our proposals out there and uh, having the right governance in it. And is it right or isn't it right? It's a directive has been put by our politicians into, in, into action. Yeah. Um, they have ad adopted, so I would say, uh, inshallah. Um, and we will see what it will come. But it's mm -hmm. up to us in order to adapt ourselves and be more proactive and see a bit further. Uh, so again, the question, will that have an impact on uh, um, uh, homework and, and, and these kinds of stuff? It will be again in order to, to see how can we predict what could happen it, is it going to happen in the two next years? No, certainly not. It will take again five to ten years or more before a new directive will come about that. But it's really already starting to prepare the what if, I would say. Okay. That's a nice, <laughs> that's a nice final word. So I would like to thank you, the three of us, for your inputs. And I hope it was valuable for the people around the room. So thank you so much. Let me help me and applaud them.